You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Let me pray. I know Liz just prayed beautifully. Uh, I don't think we can do that too much. So if you would pray with me, invite God to stir our minds and hearts and lives today. God, thanks for your word and your people that we get to sit under your word and we get to sing songs to you and about you and we get to pray to you freely because of the work of Jesus. Would you open our eyes, our minds, and our hearts, even our hands today to show us the way that you've been a neighbor to us and in your invitation for us to be neighbors to one another, to those who are around and those uh, who are not inside, but those who might feel like they're outside, would you, would you give us burdens um, and would you let us cast our cares to you and engage in all the ways that you invite us to by your spirit in Christ's name, <clears throat> amen. I know what you're thinking, like yes, today somehow Michael and the Lord and the word are going to fix my neighbor right? I know what you're thinking. I I understand that, right? Today we conclude our series, Redeeming Relationships, by talking about neighbors. And just so you know, this is the last of nine in this series. We will jump into Advent next week for four-ish through the end of the year. And then we will do a small thematic topical series on hospitality on the very beginning of the year. And then it's looking like, and this will sheer up in the next week or so on, on my end, it's looking like we will be hanging out in the book of First Samuel for like all of 2024. So there you go, right? Uh, I know you thought that this was a sermon on redeeming your annoying neighbor who parks in your parking spot or who plays music too loud or who doesn't cut their grass or even worse, cuts their grass too often. Uh, maybe the, the annoying neighbor who shot fireworks at your garage or the one who's had Christmas lights up for six weeks or the one who might have Christmas lights up through April, right? You do you, it's fine, right? Uh, maybe you thought that this was a sermon about your neighbor whose dog uses your yard as their private oasis. Maybe you thought this was a sermon about the neighbor with way too many garden gnomes in their front yard, right? But it turns out, uh, redeeming neighboring, redeemed neighboring is way more about redeeming you than it is them. And it also turns out that this really is a sermon about how we get to be part of God's work to redeem relationships with everyone around us, not just those who happen to live Near us, So we'll jump right in. Luke chapter 10. Man, many of you have probably heard this. Even if you've not been a part of the church, you're probably familiar with this idea of the Good Samaritan. There's a hospital named after that, right? And that's not by accident, right? Um, and so we're, we're jumping in. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We'll set it up and then we'll jump in. This will be a four, 
Four-part sermon. It's wild, I know. So we got, we got to go. <clears throat> Luke 10, 25. And behold, a lawyer, right? This guy's a, a Jewish lawyer trained in all of the Old Testament and, and the laws that way. He thinks in technicality, not in matters of the heart. Like, that's what we need to know. He stood up to put him to the test. So he's, he's approaching Jesus, and it's not really a very authentic line of questioning. But this is what he said. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, maybe you've asked the question. We see this line a couple different ways throughout the Gospels. It's either eternal life, what, what do I get to do to inherit eternal life, or to inherit the kingdom of God. When we see those things, it would be like us saying, how do I get to heaven? That's pretty much what, what we say in kind of common vernacular. <clears throat> Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Like, you know the law. Like, what is it? You're a lawyer. What, what does the word say? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, well, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Like, it seems like you have a good idea of what this thing's all about. Do this, and you will live. <clears throat> but he, the lawyer, Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, <clears throat> but who's my neighbor? That's what he said. God's work in neighboring transforms how his people see and move toward those in need. That's what we're looking at today. And so, man, on the surface, what is a neighbor Maybe you've never thought of that before. We are well cultured to, to get the relationship of, of neighborhood, right? A neighborhood is a community of neighbors. It's a, it's a hood of neighbors, right? It's a neighborhood, right? Um, and then, then we've seen lots of neighbors throughout our, our lives. Let me give you a few examples. And some of you won't know these neighbors, and some of you will. Steve Urkel, you know him. Stefan Urkel, some of you know him. Barney and Betty Rubble. Yes, I know what a neighbor, Wilson, I know, I know what a neighbor is, Cosmo Kramer, oh yes, I get it, Ethel and Fred, see, I'm here for everyone, <laughs> Ned Flanders, good neighbor, no, I don't know, Penny, 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 right, that's another, some of you know, what? Rhoda, right, Dennis the Menace, the catch-all. Kimmy Gibbler. <laughs> or maybe not. Who's, who's Kimmy Gibbler? So what is a neighbor? Well, like by definition, it's a, a general term for a person in close proximity. Well, that's pretty basic. And so I heard this years ago. I, I would like to run with this. Look up. Look to your left. Look to your right. That's who your neighbor is. Wherever you are, look to the left and look to the right. That's probably your neighbor. Now, at some point, that was purely geographical. Like, you had to share the same space and time. But, man, I would say, like, maybe that's a Zoom call in the metaverse as well. Like, you've got to expand our horizons. Like, those are probably true. In some context in Scripture, it, it meant, it kind of had an insider uh, flavor with it. It meant, like, a fellow person of God. So, like, the one another's were, like, to the neighbor. That's kind of us. But then Jesus comes, and he just explodes that like idea, he, he, he expands beyond the inner circle, and he says this, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but I tell you, 
and love your enemy, right? And so if we're to love those who hate us, which we already talked about enemies together, you can check that out. I, I think I preached on that like a month ago or maybe more than that. If we're to love those who hate us, then there are no neutral relationships off limits to our love of neighbor, right? When we talked about enemies, we learned that Jesus, he doesn't give a category to us, to, to the church, to call others enemies. That means we don't get to be the ones that identify who enemies are by saying, yeah, I'm just not about that person. I don't like that person. I'm against it. We, we can't do that. The way that we identify enemies according to scripture, the way that Jesus did that was, yeah, yeah, you see that person over there? They, they don't like me. They're my enemy. Maybe it's personal, and maybe it's they are anti-gospel. They're, they're opposing the work of God. I'm not their enemy. They are my enemy. And so when we look at it that way, enemies are defined by those who are against us or, or who bring harm or, again, anti-gospel. Anti but neighbors, we'll see, are defined by how we engage them, right? How, how we are to others. So this guy, this lawyer, seeking to justify, he says, who is my neighbor? Loving God and others is the most visible assurance of a life in God. Do you have love up? Do you have love out? And on that command, this is what we learned through God's word, all of the law and all of the prophets hang on this reality. Love God, love others. But here's the thing. The kingdom is not a matter of technicality. It's a matter of heart. And just so that we are clear, right? Because people use this passage in a way that's not quite getting to the heart of what God would tell us. We are not saved by our love or by loopholes of the law, but by his love. That's really, really important. So this is not a matter of we get to do these things, and if we do these things perfectly, then we might know. But, but when his love, the love that, that he has for us, when it takes root, when it breaks open uh, hearts and, and floods our lives with grace, when the Spirit opens our eyes, when his love takes root, our love bears fruit. It shows up in the way that we interact with him and with others. So this man is searching for a loophole that lets him love God or at least give the appearance of loving God without loving others. He claims to love God and others, but he doesn't want to love all people, only some. So he, maybe if he were to ask the question differently, it would sound something like this. Who's the least worst person that I have to love in order to get this offer from you? Who's the least worst that I have to love to please God? Now, maybe you would say, and maybe you've asked that question, probably not out loud, right? Because that would be, you would public, public ridicule. You wouldn't say it out loud. But, but maybe you've said something inside of your heart, like, I love you, Lord, but do I have to obey you completely? I love you, Lord, but do I have to love everyone? And what Jesus shows us is that's the wrong question. Rather than looking to exclude responsibility to love some by, by making them non-neighbors, which is exactly what he's trying to do, Jesus challenges us to instead ask this question, how can I be a loving neighbor? Because of your love for me, 
How can I then be a loving neighbor? So Jesus takes our loophole search and he speaks to the heart of the matter. God's work in neighboring transforms how his people see and move toward those in need. A good neighbor is aware of those in need. First point. A good neighbor is aware of those in need. So let's pick back up in verse 30. Jesus replied. So they asked the story, uh, so who's my neighbor? And Jesus, like, just classic Jesus, is uninterested completely in actually answering the question, right? He says, uh, let me tell you a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's like treacherous terrain, mountainous, dangerous. He fell among some robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, that's kind of a setup. By chance, a priest was walking by. Oh, thank God, a man of the cloth, one might say, right? Now, now it's a little different, but, but priests in the Old Testament were of the lineage of Aaron, think all the way back to Moses, and, and they had the responsibilities of the temple. They weren't, it, it, it's not like a, a perfect analogy, but it would be like a, a pastor was walking by, right? So, so by chance, a priest was going down the road, and he ran over them, and he said, sir, how can I help? He didn't. That was a lie. He didn't say that. He crossed the road. That's what he did. He passed by on the other side. He completely ignored him. Crossed the road. He probably jaywalked, for all I know, right? And then he just went on by about his day. So likewise, a Levite, now they're from the tribe of, uh, tribe of Levi, all kinds of stuff. They assisted the priests in the temple, right? Uh, it would be maybe the equivalent of, the analogy breaks down at some point, but like a deacon, right? A pastor sees him, he ignores him, but the deacon, oh man, they're, they're there to serve, right? And so he runs over and he says, sir, how can I tend to your wounds? He didn't say that. He crossed the road, probably jaywalked, right? Went down, ignored him. When he came to uh, the place he saw him, passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan, now maybe you get this, maybe you don't, the worst of the worst, that's who the Samaritan was. The worst of the worst, we'll talk more about that in a minute, one that you would hide from. Jews and, and these guys, they did not hang together, right? It wasn't like that. Like, I say it all the time, but worse than like a Bengals and a Steelers fan, way worse than that, right? It's cultural stuff. As he journeyed, the Samaritan came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Gosh, compassion and care. Compassion and care must extend to those whom you may not otherwise have a relationship with. This is the work of the gospel, that, that we get new hearts and we get to love in, in new ways. In, in the New Testament, we see this same line set of Jesus several times. Jesus had all the a resource on the planet. He didn't save everyone. He didn't heal everyone while he was here. In fact, he would be healing, and his disciples were like, hey, there's some people over here. We need you to come and, and heal them. And he's like, we have a different place to be. No, but, but there are people, and he said, we, we've got to go. And so Jesus, all the resources in, in the world, but here's the thing. He was moved by compassion, and he had compassion on them. We see that about Christ many times in the New Testament. The priest, the priest runs point on prioritizing proper God worship in the temple among the people. The Levite runs point on serving those who lead and those who worship. 
It was, it was bad enough not to merely uh, be aware. Like, it, it would be bad enough if they just didn't see him. Like, oh, did you see that guy? Like, oh my gosh, I didn't see him, right? I, I just, I couldn't, but, but it wasn't that they were merely unaware, but, but, but they were unwilling to be aware, right? Uh, they went out of their way not to take interest in the suffering of this man who was, who was obviously in great need, but the Samaritan, He's viewed as the worst of the worst. I looked up some analogies beyond Bengals, Steelers, low-hanging fruit, right? And, and what I saw was uh, some people say, like, man, North and South Korea. One, Samaria was up north, and so that, like, that kind of makes sense. North Korea, uh, they live a certain way, and South Koreans live a different way, right? Uh, they have a common history, common culture, common language, but they're divided by political and, and religious ideologies. Christianity can, can flourish in, in South, and, and in the North, it's illegal, and so that's one thing. There are ideological difference, differences. So, so this was not like... You seeing your neighbor at the grocery store and they clearly have a dead battery and you have some jumper cables and you say, hey, Hank, can I help you out, brother? Because you know Hank, because he lives on your street. It was not like that. This was different than that, right? It was, it was, it was, it was stark. When Jesus is telling this, the people in the room would be like, hold up, say what? That's the guy who helped him? Jesus is like, I know, Right? A few things before we move on, because I, I'm mindful of how some of you will process this. No one can actively care for every need of every person, even within eyesight. Some of you try to do that. For, for those actively aware of those around them, every burden can't be your burden. You, you couldn't leave the house. Like, I know people who scroll whatever socials and they find out about some sick kid or sick puppy somewhere in some other state that you'll never have any interaction with. And, and then people, like, I, this is real, like, hey, did you hear about? I'm like, no, I, no, I didn't. Oh, gosh, it you know, breaks my heart. I, and, like, fair. But how many, of those, how many of those heartbreaks can you handle in one day, let alone walking out of your house and just looking to the left and to the right and saying, gosh, this world, right? And so I just, I just caution you, like, like with anything, there's an over and an under, and some care too much or maybe you're too aware of the burdens that you can't do anything about to the, to the point where you overextend yourself, you're filled with mental anguish, and you can't even interact with the people that are in the same room with you because you're bearing burdens that, man, like that you just can't bear, Right? For those who shade towards the overcaring, and just to be crystal clear, you are a minority in this, in this room. Don't everybody be like, yeah, that's me. Like, that, this is not you, right? There are eight of you, and everyone in the room knows who you are, right? Just to be clear, right? This is not you. But if it is you, uh, we just have to be mindful. Uh, maybe a helpful consideration is, is decide what you can pray about and just tr trust in the hands of Jesus. Like, hey, God, I can't do anything. I, there's nothing, I, but God, would you? Right? We get to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. So, so just let it go and then be mindful of the way the spirit, the spirit spurs your passions 
And he might invite you in a really special way to engage in the people to your left and to your right, you know, in, in your uh, neighborhood or, or whatever, where you actually can use your passion and your huge heart to serve in ways that are really helpful and maybe in more healthy ways for both. Uh, now for the, the challenge of most of the people, minus those eight in the room, when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, like, the Bible 101 is this. We don't read it and apply it to our lives. We, we read it and we observe what happened in the text. We observe what was going on there and eventually we get to our life. So we observe what it meant before we apply what it means, what did it mean to them, what does it mean to us. And the first thing that we see in both scenarios is, is the first thing is that this guy is aware for someone in need to be seen, we must be aware. Now, I imagine that this is the most difficult time in human history to practice this simple thing, awareness. I, I think that's probably true, right? And I'm not all, hey, all these distractions out there, but all those distractions out there, right? right? We, we are somewhat unique in that way that we just have accessibility to all the data on the planet just right now. And so you won't just start loving people around you. That, that won't happen. We, we must change the way that we live moment to moment. And so maybe you're asking the question, okay, awareness seems to be a thing that we see here. Like how do I become more aware? And I'll throw these up on the screen. It sounds pretty basic. Decide to be more aware. Because you might be like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna love, yeah, just love's just gonna just come out of me, but you're not deciding to do it, right? If you don't decide to be aware, you never will. If you don't decide to change pretty much anything in your life, change is hard. And like the first step is to be like, hey, I need to change, right? And so, so with that comes, all right, what does it look like for me to like demonstrate present living? What does it look like uh, for, for me to put routines in my life that help me become more aware? You have to decide to be aware. The second thing is you get to spend time with God. Super basic. Spend time with him so that you are aware of him above all. Be mindful of God's work in, through, and around you. Right? If we do those things, that's something that's like coaching our brains to open our hearts. Now, I put this little note at the bottom, which is the most significant thing there. It says, phone down, eyes up, heart open. You will never hear me, you haven't in 14 years, say something more pragmatic than that. That's for you, Rick Meyer. That's for you. Right? How do I do this? Phone down, eyes up, heart open. Now, here's the thing. And some of you are like, ah, like phones, that's not for me. Like, well, okay. So just insert whatever because I, I, want you to, I want you to see this. I know it's easy to pick on teenagers and people, you know, young people like myself um, who, who are <laughs> always looking at their phones or whatever. But I, I just can't help but to think that there's a generation that grew up who never saw the face of their dad who was there in the kitchen when they had breakfast and left for school because there was a big newspaper in front of his face. And you might say, well, oh yeah, I'm like an analog person, like I don't do digital. Like, that's not any better. 
like reading books is like in current, it's like a socially acceptable thing. Like, oh no, I, I don't even have a Netflix account. Like, I'm not even stealing my neighbor's Netflix account. I just read a lot. And I just want you to know, that's great. Insert that there. It is the distraction in your life, and it's personalized. It's easy to say, yeah, phone, okay, people fall in fountains when they're scrolling and they trip. Like, okay, that's funny. We love that. It's great. But just be mindful of what you're doing. Put that down. Open your eyes and open your heart. Think about what your house looks like. Maybe many people live in your homes. I don't know. Think about what going down the hallway or the stairs or whatever it looks like. There's no books, no device. I'm not saying lock those things away forever. I'm just saying when you're moving from one place to the other, what if your eyes were open? What if your eyes were up and your heart was open and you could be mindful of the way that you get to interact? Like this is an invitation to compassionate awareness. In my home, gosh, mom, you seem down today. Everything okay? I'm just telling you, if you're a kid and you said to your mom, whatever you wanted that day would be yours. <laughs> That's not gonna happen on accident. In your home, phone down, just for periods of time, right? I'm not saying all the time, eyes up, heart open. Around your home, like, like in your neighborhood. Like what does it mean to be a good neighbor? And some of you are like great neighbors and you know the name of every neighbor on your block or whatever, and I just, I love that. You inspire me in ways, gosh, it's, it's, it's incredible. Some of you all are, are great neighbors. For me, man, I, I have a tree that like sheds millions of pounds of leaves Drives me nuts, but like it gets in my neighbor's yard, and I'm like, oh, I stopped at my line, and I'm like, it's my tree. I, whatever, like last week, and so I begin to rake and use the blower and all those things to get the leaves out of my neighbor's yard. I didn't want to do that, right? He comes out, hey man, you didn't have, whatever, we have a chat. It's like great. And all I did was like use a few more calories, like picking up my own leaves from my neighbor's yard. at work. Man, how's your pet? I know you care a lot about pets. What, what kind of pet? What are your pet's names? Like, just give a rip, right? Even if you don't care, give a rip about that person. Along the way, I'll tell one story. Gosh, it's over. It's over. I told this story years ago, but it, it makes me smile, right? It was after a gathering. I, my family was driving home, and uh, there had been for months, like all summer, uh, one time a week, a like 24-ounce beer can in my yard. And so people, there's an alley behind our house, just throw it. One time, okay, twice, three, talking like 12 times. Once a week, the same beer can. I'm like, this is incredible. Like the consistency that's happening here is out of this world. Right, me, whatever. We drive home after a gathering, pull into the garage, and there's always people around, whatever, and I like double took, kids go inside. <laughs> there's this guy sitting in the alley on a, whatever, some pavers or whatever, and he had the beer can that had been in my yard for months. And I just said, hey, sir, it's much older than me, like, whatever. I have a question for you. Is there any chance that you've been throwing <laughs> your beer can in my yard for like three months? And he's like, what if I have? 
And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not picking a fight. I'm commending you. Like, <laughs> the consistency, right? That was the conversation. Uh, he started showing me magic tricks and whatever, and we invited him in, and we had lunch together. Like, the, and the family's like, I'm like, hey, this is this guy, and the family's like, hey, and we, it was great, right? Hung out at our house for two hours. That's not always the safest thing. I'm not saying that's, that's the best. I'm just saying that I think that's what being a neighbor looks like, but be, before you think I'm self-promoting, which I'm not, I was motivated by curiosity, and the, the Lord stirred my heart amidst the conversation. I wasn't motivated by my, my heart for this man. True story. So, compassion must be nurtured, right? I'll tell one more story, and then I'll be done. <laughs> this week, I go into a gas station. I'm, I'm paying, right? I hear a horn, like, ah, 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 whatever, and I'm like, wow, that is rude. I, I just envision someone like, ee, ee, ee. I'm like, okay, like, we get it. You're frustrated. And then, like, it stopped, and then it started again. I'm like, okay, like, what is happening, right? And then I, so I get outside, and I, I go to my car, and eh, eh, whatever, and I'm getting into my car, and I, I kid you not, this is what I said to myself. This is like three days ago, like, ugh. This is what I said to myself. Freaking good Samaritan. That's what I said. And I looked up, and I was like, okay. Like, I could probably unhook, what, what had happened was this car was going berserk and this woman was freaking out. And so I grabbed some pliers and I go over there and say, like, what are, you, what are you doing? What's happening? And she's ah, you know, and so me and another guy, we come and, well, we can unhook the battery. You can, then you can't go anywhere, right? And well, let's find a fuse. So me and this guy, like, hey, what do you see? Stranger, stranger. And we, you know, oh, I brought the pliers. Pull the fuse out and whatever. And like me and this guy, didn't know him, didn't know her. High five. Hey, have a good one, right? True story, all that. I, I think that's what, I think that's, that can look like this. I think it doesn't have to look like that. But compassion must be nurtured, right? And the reason why I say, ah, oh, freaking good Samaritan, because I didn't want to do that. I was selfish. But I'm like, ah, oh, I have to stand up there and say things about this. And who am I if... Gosh, how did we get here today? Compassion must be nurtured. Sympathetic concern for the sufferings or the misfortunes of others. That's what compassion means. It, it must flow from the heart, but it happens through our eyes. We must be aware. Point number two, a good neighbor moves toward those in need. We read on. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, Pouring on oil and wine, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. That's what this guy did. The heart of a neighbor looks for opportunity to love, not opportunity to avoid. That's what Jesus is, is putting on display. Turns out that ignoring the pain of others doesn't remove it. It only removes it from you. That's what it turns out. Who are those in need? For this good Samaritan, as he's called, it was the guy in the ditch, beaten half dead. And, and, when, and what is the response to move towards him? What is his response to move towards the one in need? To help bring healing to his wounds, to give him care, uh, the, to give him the care that he needs. It probably said something like, hey, buddy, take my horse. And maybe today, that might look quite different, but it might look something like, bro, I have some place to be, but I can, I can call you an Uber, and 
is there any way I could get your number so I could follow up with you? I mean, like really, basically, that's what this could look like. But, but need, it doesn't have to be merely physical. Right? I know these examples are like, gosh, all these are, you're describing sketchy situations that I'm not comfortable with. And I'll talk about that in a second, I think. Um, but, but it doesn't have to be physical. We get to be aware and we get to be moved by compassion. We get to draw near to the pain of others. Those in need are not merely those bleeding and poor and naked in the ditch. They could be. But that is, that is by no means the only uh, person that we get to be aware of. Every single person around you is in need. Everyone. Yeah, but this person, they just have, no, they, they don't have it all together. They don't have everything. Everyone around you is in need. So, so the needs could be physical or they could be emotional, they could be economic. But, but hear me, believe me, they are spiritual. So look to your left and look to your right and think, God, how can I be involved in what you're doing in the lives of these people around me? Right? I'm not naive. I know you have to get to work. I know you have to get the kids somewhere. I know you have, I'm, I'm not saying that, that we get to do all of the things. We can't do that, but we do get to be mindful of those in need around us. It may mean that God's plan to help meet some needs is you. That's what it may mean. It may mean that, that you pray for them and move on, right? And again, obviously, use wisdom, discretion, avoid dangerous, harmful situations that you're not comfortable with. If you're by yourself, don't, you don't have to do those things, right? Lest you be the, the person beaten half dead, stuck in a ditch, right? And so use wisdom, but, but it may mean that you are the answered prayer of the needs brought to the Lord and God has given you just what your neighbor needs to show that God does indeed care for them in their distress. And maybe it happens through you, maybe it happens through community. Right? We talk all the time, invite people into your life, Invite people to, uh, certainly a gathering, but invite people into the life of your Christian community so that you can bear needs uh, with one another. It, it doesn't have to be that you give your life savings, but it may be listen, you know, a listening ear, compassionate eyes. We have endless opportunities to move toward others. And Jesus condemns the devoted ones who go out of their way to not care. Rosaria Butterfield said this in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. She says, radically ordinary hospitality. This is a term that she uses to describe a kind of hospitality that is both intentional and sacrificial. It's not about putting on a show or doing something extraordinary. It's about using our everyday lives to make strangers into neighbors using our everyday lives to make strangers into neighbors. So as you go along the way, and, 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 and maybe sometimes through planning and the way that you organize your life, here's the question, who can you move toward today? The third thing, a good neighbor is generous to those in need. Reading on. And the next day, 
he took out two denarii. It's like a couple days wages. He gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Hey, here's some money. Like if you need something else, put it on my tab. Literally what he's saying. This Samaritan didn't just get the guy an Uber and, and a few Band-Aids. He followed back up with him and continued to meet his needs by offering what I would say is stark generosity. Now look, you can't do that for everyone. Maybe you can't do that for anyone. That's not the point. Right? It's not the point that this is how it has to look. But can you imagine the innkeeper? Oh, sir, wow, that is incredibly generous. I, I'm so sorry about your father or brother or friend, he's so lucky to have someone like you in his life helping to take care of him. And this guy says, oh, brother? No, no, I don't know the guy. No, this guy? No. We're sworn enemies, actually. But yeah, here he is and take care of his stuff. And the innkeeper's like, but, but, but why? why? Why would you do this? But what, what motivation would anyone give this generosity with so much care to a person that he doesn't even know or shouldn't even speak to. And, and maybe for us, we would get to say something like this. Like, I, I follow a generous God. He's given me more than I could ever repay. He's given me more than I ever deserve. And it's the least I could do to tell of his great name. Now think about that in whatever context and think about this quote from Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Now some of you are thinking, yes, like apologetics. And I want to get to the, right, I want to systematically tear down all the false arguments of, that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about the way of love your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Now, if you're fueled by hatred and you're harsh and every way that you interact with is self-absorbed, that's not what this is doing. But your life as a Christian making non-believer question their belief is, is by our lavish generosity and love towards those around us, those that we shouldn't otherwise maybe even like, let alone be generous to. J.C. Ryle, he says this, kind of a longer quote, and I'll share it, an even longer one in a few minutes, right? So settle down. How can we be generous to the broken world around us? This is the question, right? How can we be generous with the parts of the world that we do possess to point to a greater world where we can only possess in Christ alone? This is what J.C. Ryle says. We must beware of thinking too much about our meals, our furniture, our houses, and all those many things which concern the life of the body. We must strive to live like people whose first thoughts are about the immortal soul. Mm. We must endeavor to pass through the world like people who are not yet home. Is this your home? Because I know that we live like it is. All that we store up all that we hold on to tightly. We must endeavor to pass through the world like people who are not yet at home and are not overly troubled about the fare they meet with on the road and at the end, blessed are those who feel like pilgrims and strangers in this life and whose best things 
are all yet to come. See, that's how you begin to live your life generously towards others. God's people don't get to be stingy with our time and money and stuff because all things are the Lord's. We don't own anything. And all that you have, and you can say, yeah, but it was my work and effort that got me here. And I say, man, that's really great. Like, I love that. And, and God gave you that work ethic, right? And God gave you the resources to get to that place, the, the, even the health for you to be able to do that. All of it is the Lord's. He isn't at all stingy with us. So the question is, how can you be generous today? And what if we, together, demonstrated this type of generosity? What would that look like? Lastly, a good neighbor shows mercy to those in need. Jesus goes on, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Right, who proved to be a neighbor? So Jesus encounters this man who's curious about eternal life or trying to trip Jesus up or whatever it is, who wants to love God or maybe he just wants to be loved by God, he asks a question about love and Jesus doesn't at all answer him, but instead he tells a story and, and he ends the story with a question, which proved to be a neighbor, the one who showed him mercy, that was neighboring, go and do likewise. So Jesus, he goes full circle this connection to be a neighbor is to show mercy to those who are near. To be a neighbor is to show mercy to those who are near. It shouldn't be a dramatic twist, but you can't just live this way. You, you can't just leave and be like, that's it. I'm going to be the best neighbor. And I'm going to do it joyfully too. Can't, you can't just do that until you have a heart that understands you and understands others, understands your neighbor, and understands God rightly. Here's the kicker. We are the ones in need. Was that ever a surprise? Was that ever a surprise that we are the ones in need? You are all but dead in a ditch. And, and, and if you read only the physical, you might say, no, I, I'm well taken care of. I can show you all the zeros, right? Look how comfy my couch is. Like, I'm doing just fine. But, but greater realities reveal our greatest need, right? We are the ones in need. You are without help and hope. You are at the mercy of the only one who can redeem and restore and give you life. So what that means is, is Jesus is the greatest neighbor to all who are without hope. And he doesn't stay in heaven to pass us by. Instead, he is aware of our need. He is moved to move near to us. He draws near. He actually came from heaven and dwelt among us. He is generous with his riches. Even though he owes us, he owes you nothing. He owes me nothing, and yet he is generous, and he shows mercy to all who might believe in him as the only hope in life and in death. See, what Jesus is doing is he's revealing this man's heart, and the Spirit today continues to do just the same, to reveal our 
hearts. Searching for loopholes to justify ourselves before God and others, it reveals our heart. You have nothing to prove. That's the the greatest benefit of the gospel of Jesus, the work, the good news of Jesus is that you get to stand before God, him knowing all of you, the dark places, the bright lights, all of you, and you get to stand before him completely justified, not because how great you are, not because how great you love your neighbor, but because you deserve nothing and he was your good neighbor. Ignoring a neighbor in need by considering another's problem, that re, uh, that, that's, that's someone else's problem to deal with. That reveals our heart. Being stingy and merciless, it reveals the heart. And the only thing that transforms us is the love of our great neighbor, Jesus. The bank could come, come on up, but do that quietly because I'm reading a long quote here from J.C. Riley. Ready? I'll close out with this. You guys can come on up. The kindness, this is a little different time, so you gotta connect some of the analogies. The kindness of a Christian towards others should not be in word and in tongue only, but in deed and in truth. His love should be a practical love, a love which entails on him self-sacrifice and self-denial, both in money and time and trouble. His charity should be seen not merely in his taking but, or in his talking, but his acting. Not merely in his profession, but in his practice. We should think it no misspent time to work hard, to work as hard in doing good to those who need help as others work in trying to make money. He should not be ashamed to toil as much to make the misery of this world rather smaller as those toil who hunt or shoot all day long. He should have a ready ear for every tale of sorrow and a ready hand to help everyone in affliction so long as he has the power. Such brotherly love the world may not understand. The returns of gratitude which such love meets with may be few and small. But to show such brotherly love is to walk in the steps of Christ and to reduce to practice the parable of the Good Samaritan. And that's, that's what we get to be part of, right? And we get to respond. You can sit where you are. You can stand up and sing with this band. You can go over there and pray at the, uh, pray at the prayer bench by yourself. Someone would love to pray with you back by that tree over there. Just walk over there, and they would love to pray with you about anything, right? If you are in Christ, whether you're part of this church community or not, then the table is open. We get to respond to, to the way that Jesus was a neighbor to us, that he invited us to a meal. And that meal looked like his body broken and his blood shed, right? And so that's why we do this as often as we do. And we do it basically weekly. We take of the bread and of the cup. And we do that in remembrance of his body that was broken, his blood that was spilled, right? We don't do this in vain. If you're not in Christ, that's not for you. We would love to chat with you, right? Jesus is for you. We are for you. But this meal is not for you. If you are not in Christ today, would you pray with me? God, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your hospitality and generosity in the way that you neighbor us. There are people in this room dying in a ditch, poor and lowly, that are far from you. 
today as you walk near them through your word and your spirit? Would you let them, would you let today be the day where they no longer reject your help, but they trust you completely to be in your care, in your hands, not just today, but for all eternity? May today be the day that you grant them eternal life, not by their greatness, but by their trust and faith in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.